mindfulness mode. Many people are good at soldiering on, and that's how more emotional wounds get worse. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in mindfulness mode. Mindful Tribe, I'm here with a therapist, adventurer, and founder of the IPS Project. And this gentleman is a guy that I interviewed way back when I was pretty much starting my podcast. I mean, I started it in 2015. This was back in 2016 that I interviewed him before. And so I was just looking it up a few minutes ago and found out that it was... Oh, back in 2016, November, and it was episode 163. So you can go back and check it out, mindfulnessmode.com slash 163. I'm here today with Yellis Vase. Yellis, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I am, Bruce. Thanks uh, for the nice uh, and warm welcome. It's great to hear your voice again. It really is. And uh, you've done so much since we last talked. So I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. Tell us about the IPS project. What does IPS stand for? And tell us about this project. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, IPS stands for uh, Inner Path Seekers. Okay, Inner Path Seekers. Tell me more, Yalis. It's actually a project that I started when I was like, uh, 2021 or that I came up with the idea of creating a platform that just provides educational life topics that we don't learn much to anything about you know from school or from our parents many times so it's it touches on subjects like mental health the mind relationships uh, the body and brain and uh, yeah the platform does that through uh, a podcast uh, where I interviewed you on and uh, yeah. online courses, practical articles. And we're also now more working on also like events. Um, and there's some other really exciting things because uh, I also want to bring more the online offline, you know, like the events. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I'm also looking now in actually buying sort of a piece of land to, to build like, a, well, sort of a, a community center or like a center mm-hmm. where I could do workshops in as well. Um, but yes, it took a long time <laughs> for it to like develop into what it, it is today. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited where it's still going. So do you do coaching through this platform? Uh, the coach, yes. Um, but mainly I would say that I, I myself create a lot of the courses, which is in a way sort of a, a version of like coaching or like offering, you know, education on certain topics. Uh, but then there's also like uh, people that I've done an interview with, uh, and we're doing that way more now that I'm also creating courses with them. Um, but mainly I do more content creation uh, than actually mm-hmm. individual one-on-one coaching. Right. I see. So tell me where that content creation ends up. Where can we read? Where can we where can oh, we yeah. find out what you do? Sure. Uh, if you just go to theipsproject.com or if you type in, well, that on Google or educational mm-hmm. platform of life, you will you will find it all. The ipsproject.com. Okay, got it, Yellis. Well, so tell us about one of the most recent articles that you've written for that. Um, right now, I'm more uh, doing, because uh, there's also like the show notes, right, of interviews that I've done. So I'm more like focusing myself on doing the interviews. Um, and um, a recent one, that I did actually of interviews uh, to give also an example maybe uh, is uh, on eating disorders. 
that's like mm-hmm. the, the topic of like mental health, uh, talking about eating disorders, that it's something that uh, we also don't know a lot about and uh, people definitely struggle with that. Yeah. Um, but now I'm actually, I sent out an invitation to someone uh, who doesn't have any limbs, so he doesn't have any arms and legs. And okay. uh, I'm pretty sure that he might say yes as well. But these are certain people uh, or, or topics that I'm looking for, like throwing out like knowledge and lessons uh, on a specific topic or just on life lessons, like that person, for example, is in English. But I have a proofreader to double check my grammatic <laughs> uh, sure. mistakes sometimes. So, <laughs> so uh, but sure. yes. Well, you've done so much traveling. I know that you were traveling or you were about to be traveling when we talked before. Mm. And now you've decided to kind of settle down in Belgium, the country you were born in. But tell us about some of those travels and what you learned by being a world traveler. Uh, Yeah, Um, I did travel a lot. Um, (laughs) And I I mean, the biggest reason why I also kind of ventured out and it kind of started all when I was like 18. Mm-hmm. And why I also continued traveling was that it, to me, opened up so many possibilities and so many insights that I just didn't have when I was like a teenager, uh, which also actually got me to a very dark place as I thought life was very boring and dull and not exciting at all. And traveling just opened up like the adventure and the freedom and the possibilities that no one like ever showed me. And I, this is like why I, traveling has been like almost a lifesaver to me in just showing what more there is there out there in, in, in life and all the amazing people there are. Uh, yeah, so I'm very thankful uh, that I had that opportunity and that I also took that chance to, to do that over the last uh, years. And so what's it been like for you getting through the pandemic? Has that been a challenge? It's definitely been a challenging one for many people. Yeah. But I wouldn't particularly say that I had so many struggles with him with it. I'm also more like of an introverted person. <laughs> so yeah. and also well, it was a very special time in a lot of ways, right? I actually met my girlfriend now, uh actually when the pandemic was starting. And it oh. actually created an opportunity for us to spend so much one-on-one time together and really get to know each other in such a strange time and actually when the pandemic opened I or or like uh, when we were still allowed to go and do things again there were so many things even though we knew each other for a year already that we hadn't do and done like going to the cinema for the first time so we had a whole debunding process for a whole year because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and then yeah there were so many other things that we never did like very normal ones that once we could do it, uh, yeah, that we could do. Um, so in general, it's not the worst time during the pandemic. Well, that's good. That's good that it's been, uh, and you know, it's been something new for you and meeting meeting her and everything else. So, do you have plans to do more traveling now? Now that things are opening up a little bit more. No, and not per se because things have opened up, but more because I traveled from eighteen to for seven years until I was 25, 26, almost like nonstop. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing experience that brought me a lot of knowledge and insights about myself and about the world. But I'm now more in another 
chapter of my life where I'm looking more for stability. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, I'm more like going for like 80% of stability and more 20% of uh, just uh, traveling. Uh, I still love to do it. Uh, and some years ago, it was the opposite. <laughs> um, right. So I don't have the need because that's my... That's the point of in life where I'm right now. Uh, I'm more looking or I'm more in need of stability, actually. Yeah, well, when we talked before, you said that you had come to a place where you felt like you had no real voice mm. and that you wanted to share this idea with people that we all do have a voice. Yeah. So how do you do that? How do you get that message across to people that every single one of us has a voice? I guess just... I mean, even with the friends that I have, because uh, it starts there, right? To, um, yeah. Just by letting them see their own qualities and values and talents that they have. And in a way, through everything that I create on the IPS project, I just always, it's always an intent to help someone get to know themselves better. And it's by knowing yourself better also that you also start to see more well, that you have a voice in life, that you matter, uh, which is something when I was younger, I yeah, didn't know myself. And it mainly comes down to just not knowing that I had any qualities, talents or skills. And what do you consider is your purpose in life? Making people just suffer a little bit less through life. Honestly, <laughs> in everything that I do, if there's just like one person that I, because I walked like when I was young, uh, very close on the edge between like deciding between life and death, because mm -hmm. uh, I had a lot of thoughts or very dark thoughts about uh, just suicides, and it's yeah. been uh, an incredible motivator on why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Because I just am very shocked when I kind of got out of that more that we just know so little about ourselves which can then lead some people to uh, very dark places. Um, and everything that I've done kind of came from that of trying to just, just a little bit take people if they're struggling in life or like are walking on a very close edge between life and death to take them a little bit away from it. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I sort of uh, feel like is my calling and my purpose. Do you find that there are any forms of art that feed you in your life? Maybe not the typical kind of art, uh, yeah. I guess, but the art comes in many forms, right? So I just, <laughs> but like to me, like nature is a piece of art that I am mm -hmm. always blown away by. So how much time do you spend in nature in a week, for instance? If I can every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this can be like very, I mean, even though that I'm in a city, it doesn't mean that, or for other people who live in a city, it doesn't mean that you can't spend time in nature, right? Like a park, every city well, hopefully has a park at least. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, yeah, there, that's nature. And that's something that has a lot of, well, uh, well, it, it's a great place to become mindful and aware and, and just relax and, and so many other things. Um, but I go for walks every every day uh, through through parks here in Antwerp <laughs> um, mm -hmm. to connect with the nature and just yeah it's a great place. 
Yeah, I bet it is. So if you had your choice between being in the mountains <laughs> or being near the ocean or no, near water, which would you choose? Oof. <laughs> this is a, a, a tough question, actually. Uh, I think at the moment I would go more for the mountains. It's just the place, or the mountains in general are a place that I I love. I love the mountains. Um, I love climbing mountains. <laughs> And yeah. they've also been great teachers in my life, mountains. Uh, so, yeah, any time that I can spend in mountains, yeah, I, w- I, I would say yes on that. So, mountains. So, are you a casual mountain climber or are you more of a serious mountain climber where you have all the equipment and you climb up some of the super high mountains and everything? Yeah, I would. Well, there's, of course, other levels, right, of people who are way sure. more serious, but... I would say compared to most people, I'm more of a more serious climber. Uh, I do a lot of rock climbing and indoor climbing basically every week. Uh, And then I also do like mountaineering. Uh, I do trips almost every year uh, to climb some mountains around Europe uh, or other Mm -hmm. parts of the world. Uh, And I've, yeah, I've done some fun climbs. over the last. What's the last mountain you, you climbed that you can remember the name of? Yes. Actually, if you, it's an impressive mountain in in a way of how it looks. So even if you're not a mountain climber, it's located in Switzerland, but it's mm-hmm. just it's beautiful. Uh, it's called the Matterhorn, and if you look mm-hmm. it up on the internet, it's a very iconic mountain. Uh, even in Disneyland, they placed the Matterhorn as a statue, <laughs> oh. um, and it, it took. I trained a few years for that mountain, as it's a very where you have to actually climb, climb on it. And it's a very physical demanding mountain as well. Uh, but that was a huge personal achievement. Uh, mm-hmm. As I never thought, like when I first started with mountaineering that I ever could do this. And yeah, it shows step by step that goals can be reached. <laughs> uh, uh, so that was one of the last mountains that I climbed that was so much fun to do. And do you have another one on on your agenda, another mountain that you want to climb that you will be climbing in the next period of time? Yes, um, it's this is also this is called the Alpine Big Tree in Europe, and these are actually the three most you could say famous mountains. Uh, it's the Mont Blanc, the Matterhorn, and then the Eiger. And I've climbed the Mont Blanc and the Matterhorn, but I haven't climbed the Eiger yet. And mm. yeah, this is actually the next mountain. Uh, or the next like real challenging mountain for me to climb. Uh, there's some other fun ones like Mount Olympic in Greece. Uh, that one I would love to climb at some points, but the Eiger is definitely like the one that I'm sort of like training for at the moment already. And so when you climb these mountains, do you climb them with a team, with a group of people? It's either or by myself, or if it's like a really difficult mountain, I go with a guide. Right, like with the mm-hmm. Matterhorn, you have like a, a mountain guides, yeah, and yeah, I just go with one of them, right? Um, and there's many like, it's also just really fun for me to learn from them. So, and many of them also has, have become good friends over the years. So it depends on the mountain and on the challenge and on what I know that I can do that I will kind of see if I will go with a guide or not. I see. So as you're climbing that mountain and then you get closer to the peak, 
closer to the peak and then you you arrive there describe the feeling of arriving there at that at the peak of that mountain yeah um honestly it's more where you get down that it really that you really realize what you just did like with the Matterhorn, for example, I was at the top and it was like, all right, I've done this, but you're so tired physically and yeah. mentally, and then you still have to go down, right? That it yeah. doesn't sink in all the way. But I mm -hmm. know like when I came back down again and I saw the mountain and I just realized like just a few hours, I was actually at the top there. Then it's like, holy shit. It yeah. just feels, yeah, impressive that you, that that well people can do stuff like that um so yeah it, uh, mountains in general have over the years just increased my self-confidence in so many ways because i used to be like afraid of heights mm -hmm. and it was actually by well doing mountains and by doing things that you're scared of but that you want to do and just learning what you can do in those moments that you also start to increase your self-confidence more and more. Um, so every time that I climb like a really impressive mountain that I've been training for, I, and I am down and I look at it again, I'm always like, uh, I feel uh, a level of <laughs> respect for myself, which I don't want to yeah. mean in any, well, <laughs> ego way, or like, but it just feels impressive that that mm -hmm. after so many years of training, I was able to do that mountain. And is there any kind of feeling of of letdown when you've completed it and you've, you know, it's now that that thing is behind mm. you, you've done it. Is there any feeling like that? No, I mean, like I can't Good. immediately feel that feeling when I think about all the mountains that I've climbed. Any mountain that I've been able to top, it's just been an incredible moment in my life and a memory that I cherish or will cherish forever. There's never like a let down feeling that I've had so far from any. Well, that's great. Yeah. Do you think that your girlfriend is going to climb a mountain with you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> she's actually a really good climber too, like indoor climber. Oh, oh is she? Yes. And, um, but she hasn't climbed like in a, like a, like in a mountaineering, like a mountain like mm -hmm. that. Uh, and actually this year we were planning to do it, but uh, some, some things changed. Uh, so it's actually moving to next year mm -hmm. uh, but she's totally in for it she's very excited about uh, about climbing one too which I mean we're going to do a, an easy one right uh, but an easy but impressive one still in Germany sure. yeah. oh are you when are you going to do that uh, now it's going to be like next year somewhere in the summer like uh, June June or something Yeah. and what's the name of the mountain um, this is a really fun mountain. It's called the Alpspitze, and it's got it's in a really beautiful national park called Berchtesgaden. Oh. It's it's one of my favorite places in Germany. I've been there so many times, and I've climbed that mountain like a lot of times, many times as a warm up for another mountain. Uh, but people that are like want to try a mountain, uh, I take them often to that one because it's challenging, but everyone in a way can do it. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, you already mentioned walking, but what else do you do on a day-to-day -day basis to stay fit? Yeah, climbing. <laughs> yeah, that's something. Uh, but then also, I, I I cycle everywhere. It's just healthy, and it's oftentimes faster than a car. Um, 
but if I go, because I work from a co-working place, uh, mm-hmm. if I go to there, which is like a half an hour cycling, I cycle to it. It's a great way to sort of start the day as well with some movements. So I try to cycle just to every place uh, in the city, right? Uh, if I Is that a pretty common method of transportation in your city? Nah, not so much. Not really? I There should definitely, yeah. Like the Netherlands, for example, everyone cycles. It's a yeah, very that's what known country for people to cycle. It's very flat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Belgium, uh, it's between, it's still a little bit in between. Like there's definitely a lot of people who cycle, but there should be more. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's a little like a North American city in that way. You know, like we have bike paths in our city, uh, but it's, you know, there's not a huge number of people that mm. cycle. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit worse there than in Belgium because it's still very yeah. small here in Belgium. So it's easier in time, like distance is a bit less. So, uh, right. yeah. Yeah, Ellis, if it were the year 2027, five years from now, and you look back to the last five years, what are the things that you hope you will have accomplished? The IPS Village is something that I briefly said. It's like the, taking the online offline, uh, building mm-hmm. sort of like a, a center, an educational center. That's something that in the next coming years, I want to really start doing. Yeah, in five years, I hope it's something that will actually uh, be real. So that IPS center, tell me more about what it will offer, what it'll be like. In general, it's it's basically like where I just want to give like workshops and maybe have an area where there's like a garden where people can just have more in-person connection. I, I feel like in general, I mean, the internet is great. Uh, so many people benefit from it, right? And yeah, but I also see that there's uh, sometimes too much people just being online, and that that you can see that people sometimes miss the in-person connection a bit, like on a deeper level, right? And that's a bit the goal that I want to create there: that people can have a place where they uh, just can connect a bit deeper um, with others. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, having a place where they can listen to workshops. Um, in general, the details I'm still like working out, but the rough idea of what I want to create, I have. Um, so it might sound a bit vague on what it's going to be, <laughs> but uh, yeah, workshops, some kind of garden where people could work in and connect a bit with nature in sort of a way. Mm-hmm. And just a place where people can talk to each other about more like deeper things as well. Well, I want to ask you about meditation. Yeah. What kind of meditation do you have in your life? There's certain times in my life I would say that I've done this way more, meditate like every day. Um, mm-hmm. But right now I'm at a point where I don't have an actual practice of like meditating every day. I would say that I have more other practices of being just like mindful. And one is a simple one, just, uh, well, I, I always go for like a morning walk <laughs> and this is just, well, to get my blood flow going, mm-hmm. but also just to, uh, yeah, I just pay attention to my surrounding, feel gratitudes for what I'm seeing and just feel a bit yeah, aware of everything around me, which is a sort of form of meditation, you could say as well, but just a, a walking meditation more. Um, but that's something that I do every day, even if it's raining. 
there's always something nice to be uh, grateful for and, and something that's going on. And yeah. Yeah, there always is. Yeah, that's for sure. I totally agree with you. It's so much fun to catch up with you. <laughs> if if someone was listening today who was feeling a little bit lost or discouraged or maybe not very grounded, what would your words of advice be to them? I guess we underestimate a lot of times the people that we have in our life that do actually care about us. And I'm someone who's very, I was super bad at this, but I'm much better at it now. When you feel bad to just call uh, your friends, one of your friends or, or your family or your girlfriend or boyfriend, to just let them know that you've not been feeling good. You know, I think many people are good at soldiering on and that's how more emotional wounds get worse. Yeah, but it, it just doesn't have to be that way. Just know that there's people who care. Even if you don't always think it or realize it, there's definitely someone out there who cares about you close in your close circle. Just reach out to them. People feel, even the people who will help you, it feels good for them actually to be able to help you. Because that's the thought that I have and that a lot of people have is that like, oh, they will, I will bother them or, you know. But honestly, it feels really nice if someone comes for help to you because it's, it allows you to connect with that person and just show your love in a way. Um, so if you feel down, honestly, just reach out to someone in your close circle and just let them know. The chances that they will help you or want to be there for you is very, very, uh, very high. So Yellis, what next? Do you have any upcoming projects that you're working on? Um, yeah. Um, now, this is still something that I'm drafting out, you could say. Uh, but I have like a side project that I'm working on. Uh, it's called the Heart Warrior Project. And well, yeah, the reason why uh, that I am starting that is because I survived a cardiac arrest like a year and a half ago. And um, well, doctors and cardiolo like cardiologists, they do their work amazing, right? Uh, but yeah. they treat you. They don't per se emotionally support you. And uh, for people like cancer patients or people with a heart disease like I have or who survived the cardiac arrest, it's very emotionally, it, 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 it's pretty, yeah, it's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of- I bet, it'd be challenging. Yeah. There's a lot of ups and downs on that journey of recovery and just living with it that I sort of wanted to create just a place to share survival or survivor stories who also survived cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. um, so the, those are like uh, yeah, people who survived it. I want to interview and just ask how they deal with it, tips that they might have for other people who are just like new, you could say, uh, who just survived it. Uh, but I would also love to interview cardiologists and uh, just, yeah, uh, draw more just because uh, I have so many questions about my cardiac arrest. You only have so much time with your doctor, right? Uh, yeah. And then you have to go and then you have to wait and then you have more questions. Um, so I thought of like, yeah, also interviewing some cardiologists uh, to just ask more questions that other people might have who survived cardiac arrest. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. When did you first find out that you had a heart issue? This was all, well, uh, when I was six and it was basically with like school, uh, you, you go, well, sometimes do like a check, like a medical check with all to check your pulse and everything. Well, like just, they check like your whole, 
everything like they see how long you are how much weight you have just sure. ask how you're doing and all that and uh i know in my school or in belgium they do this at a young age to just see how yeah, if they notice anything mm -hmm. uh and uh, actually the doctor was checking a bit longer my heart and she was asking me like questions and i was like what like if i was nervous uh -huh. and uh then some days later, my mom said that we had to go to the hospital. I was like, what? Yeah. What? And I was like six, right? So I didn't know what was going on at all. Uh, but then yeah. they confirmed by doing an ECG and an echo that I have an irregular heartbeat with too many beats. Uh, I don't know the particular name of my heart disease, but it's mm -hmm. something. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they noticed that. Um, uh, so since I was six, I've been like dealing with my heart disease. I had multiple surgeries on it, uh, and uh, yeah. And then, well, now when I was twenty-eight, I yeah had a cardiac arrest, which likely was because of the heart disease. Right, and that sounds like that was a pretty serious event in your life. Yeah, because it's something that well, ninety percent of the time people don't survive it when it's out of a hospital. Right. So I was lucky like very lucky that so how did you survive yeah um this was actually in the beginning when i just started dating my girlfriends <laughs> yeah and uh before that i slept a lot of times alone at my own yeah. place and just that night i was not alone i was next to her which nine out of ten wasn't the case right but that's when i had a cardiac arrest when i was asleep and she noticed that i was starting to sneeze and and snore and just make a lot of weird noises and it's kind of uh -huh. like your body just trying to do something and then right. she saw that i stopped breathing um okay so she called the paramedics she performed cpr luckily i was in the city so they were very fast there and uh right. yeah didn't have any neurological problems like many people do have oh that's cool. um uh, and were you in the hospital for quite a while? Yes, because uh, they also put me in a coma, like an artificial coma, but it's kind of like they did that for a week or something. Oh, just like, why did they do that? Yeah, it's to... Uh, uh, why do they do I think it was to stabilize me or something, uh, to just monitor okay. me more easily. I think it was some reason of that. And mm -hmm. then I just spent... And this was actually during Corona, so that was pretty tough because uh, no, wow. no one was able to visit so I was just right. like alone in the hospital uh, for like a week or two. I think I was like there for two weeks. Like I was three weeks in the hospital. Yeah. Um, but then being able to see everyone after three weeks was uh, was pretty amazing. Right. And so you, I, I understand why you want to do this project, the Warrior Project. That's pretty interesting that you would be interviewing uh, heart specialists. You'd be interviewing people that had issues with their heart and... Uh, that sounds pretty fascinating. So how could people connect with you who maybe might be a good person for you to interview? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much in the stage of creating. If there are people uh, who are listening who might have had a cardiac arrest um, and do want to share their story, uh, right now I don't have a dedicated email address for that project yet, but I guess you can just email me at yelisfas at gmail.com and I can send it to you if you want to put it in the show notes or something. 
I'll definitely put it in my show notes, mindfulnessmode.com. You can check it out and I'll spell it out for you. It's J-E-L-L-I-S-V-A-E-S at gmail.com. Yeah. So yeah, send, send you an email and share maybe a little bit about your story and how you might want to share something. And it sounds like that could be really helpful to a lot of people, Yellis. Yep. Yeah. It's often like meaning is the cure to any darkness, I, I, I think. And uh, it definitely feels like a project sort of like that, bring, or feels like meaningful because of what happened to me and because of the suffering that it did in my life. And, and uh, so I'm excited to actually uh, continue working on it. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Alice, it's great to reconnect with you. I'm really excited about all the things you're doing with the IPS project. Yeah. And I just applaud you for doing all this work in the world to help other people. So thanks. way to go for that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah. So you take care, Yellis, and thanks again for being on Mindfulness Mode. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye now. See ya. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Yes, send Yellis an email if you have a story you want to share about a heart situation or maybe you're a heart surgeon. Maybe you have a story to share that way and he can include that in his new project, his new podcast. And of course, check out the IPS project, theipsproject.com and you can check out what Yellis is doing there. So take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness. Stay in the mode.